You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. And today is one of my favorite types of interviews where I get to talk with someone who's really in the mix in the day-to-day of operating a restaurant um, and who could really speak from that experience. Um, so with me today is Nick Bogas, who is the owner and founder of Caliente Pizza and Draft House, um, which has seven locations now in Pittsburgh, right? Correct. And, um, and he also is an author and he's a fellow podcast host. So welcome, Nick. Um, first thing I wanted to talk about um, was while I was doing research, I was kind of struck by... Um, the story of your first day of working in the hospitality restaurant industry and you're delivering pizzas and you didn't have a great day. Um, and a lot of people probably would have not come back. Um, so, you know, can you tell me about that story? Um, and you know, what the lessons that you learned from that day? Sure. So I was uh, 17 years old and at that time, um, I w- I was washing cars and, you know, you go to the lunchroom at school and you brag about how much tips you made um, at, at, at the car wash. And one of the kids there said, man, I made way more tips than that delivering pizzas. And I was like, man, I got to do this delivering pizza gig. So, so uh, I went there, I had the interview and it was a, a guy uh, interviewing me, an older guy, probably about my age now, you know, in his 40s. And uh, here I am, a young kid. And he says to me, um, you know, what hours can you work? I said, well, I get out of school at three. I can work till close every day. I can work as many hours as you want. And he said, you're hired. And I said, great. And then he said, well, how old are you? And I said, I'm 17. And he said, you tell nobody. Because of insurance reasons, you had to be 18. So, <laughs> So with that being said, I got hired on a Wednesday. My very first day was on a Friday. Took my very first delivery out to the car, you know, holding it like a, a pizza boy high up in the air and uh, really happy to have this pizza bag and and the smell of pizza in my car. And on my first delivery down the highway, wouldn't you know it, um, the car not in front of me, but the car in front of that car was stopped making a, a right-hand turn. So I didn't see it stopped, and I smacked right into the car in front of me. Uh, the pizza hits the dashboard, you know, the, the cars, uh, has all kind of damage in the front end. And I, I go back to the shop and it's the, the middle of Friday dinner. The, the guy who hired me is working the oven. There's pizzas everywhere, slips everywhere. I tell him that I wrecked and he just, you know, says, I'll get, get to you in a second kid. And finally, you know, um, cash me out and that, that was it. So then I go back and I asked my mom if I could use her car and she said, sure, you know, uh, cause I really wanted to go after all those tips. So then I, I get her car. I go back, uh, back next week and on the schedule and I delivered for another three months and, uh, loved it. I, I started to figure out, you know, what runs routes you could take. And I love the team atmosphere that somebody took the phone order. Then they give it, give it to the guy who's going to make the pizza. He stretches the dough, hands it off to the guy that's going to make the sauce. Then they got the oven tender. Next thing you know, it gets cut up and the pizza driver ends up with it and he takes it to the house where everybody's always happy that you're delivering a pizza. And I just fell in love with the team atmosphere of it. Well, after about three months of delivering, I wrecked my mom's car. So then I ended up uh, inside and I started to fall in love with with the operations side. And I, I ended up on, on the oven. That's where I cut my teeth. And uh, because I knew the roads real well, I could route the drivers, so I was working the ovens for a long time. 
And um, that's really how I got started. And and that was, that was, you know, being a 17, 18 year old kid working in a pizza shop. And, and I just love the camaraderie of it. I also like that, you know, you go to high school, you meet a lot of your friends that you've gone to elementary school with. Now you're starting to get out into a restaurant where, where there's no better camaraderie. I don't care what anybody says that the, the best camaraderie is in that kitchen in, in the restaurant business, you make friends for life. And, and that's exactly what I was doing at that age. And then how did that lead into you opening your own restaurants? So 16 more years is, is the easy, long question. You know, my, my <laughs> success is definitely not an overnight success story. And um, there were 16 years in there. So so to, to give you the, the version of the story is what happened at 17, 18. I was back inside learning the learning the ropes of being a being a driver or and then I'm being a manager and I'm learning how to uh work inside the restaurant. So I become a shift manager. I, I love that store. And then we lose our first general manager and he ends up uh, somewhere different. So we get a new manager in and, you know, it, I'm sure everybody listening has gone through that phase where you're the new manager, right? And uh, everybody thinks they hate you because they don't even know you yet because they love the last guy so much. So that was me. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to be a manager for this guy. I want to go back to being a pizza driver. So I go back to being a pizza driver, and the next thing that happened was um, probably about six to eight months into that, I hit a kid on a bike delivering pizzas. I had the the rooftop sign on, uh, everything. I come around the corner, and somebody hopped out in front of me, a kid on a bike, and I I just went into the other lane to avoid him. And when I went into the other lane, there was another kid on a bike, and I hit him up over the car. Uh, everything was, he checked out. Okay. His dad come over and ambulance was there and everything. And his dad was upset. He didn't have his helmet on. And, um, thank, thank God that he was okay. You know, and I, I take the delivery to the house and I get there and a lady says, I've been waiting for my pizza for an hour and a half. And I said, lady, I just hit a kid on a bike. And, uh, she was, she didn't know what to say, you know? So I get back to the store and uh, I said, that's it. You know, my, my pizza delivery days are, are done. And then that was true for a long time. So then um, I worked my way to assistant manager at, at that store. And uh, the reason I needed to be assistant manager was my, my wife and I got married very young, 20 and 20, had our first, first child at 21. And I needed that title of, uh, I was assistant manager. I wanted that title of general manager. So I, I found a pizzeria that would give me the general manager title. I went there. Um, I learned a lot from that guy. He was the first guy that, that showed me how everything really works, like how much a dumpster costs, how much the uh, the light bill costs, all that stuff. He was one of those guys that when somebody would show up that, that he owed money to, like uh, say one of those uh, Clipper magazines or the Penny Saver or something, one of those ones that you advertise in locally, right. he'd say, Nick, go out and talk to that guy. And I'd go out and they say, hey, is Jeff here? And I'd look out in the parking lot, Jeff's hopping in his car, driving away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so he was that kind of an owner. But at the same time, you learned what not to do. But he also, he was the first one that opened the books to me and showed me how the numbers really worked. And um, eventually he bought a second store. And um, I don't really believe in the second store being the kiss of death, but it was for him. And uh, he came to me and said, look, um, I'm going to have to let you go because, you know, I can't afford you anymore. And um, And that's what happened. So then I... Took a couple months off and I got a, a job at um at one of the big chains, you know, at, at Papa John's. And I became the general manager and I, I absolutely just 
like I said before, I fell in love with it all over again. I, I led a young team in the interview. They, they said to me, um, you know, we don't know that you could actually run a team because all these guys are 16, 17, and you're only 22. And I said, well, you know what? I got two kids at home and I don't think anybody else does. And, and, uh, I need this job and, and this is, you know, my livelihood here. So they hired me and, um, for about three or four months, what would happen is we were, we were always working the, just for the next, the next big thing. It seemed like you're working for the, the next big Friday night or the next, uh, big sale or whatever it may be. And every, there was 10 Papa John's in the franchise. There was four in Pittsburgh and six in Ohio. So we would go out to Ohio all the time for these meetings. Every time you go there, they say, Hey, Art's up 10%. Everybody clap for Art. And then the next being go out, hey, Joe and Ashtabola, he's up 10%. Clap for Joe. So about the fourth or fifth meeting out there, one of the guys, they were all double my age, the general managers from Pittsburgh, but we all became close friends. And even to this day, 20-some years later, I still talk to these guys. And they said to me, um, Nick, supervisor wants to fire you because your your walls are dirty, your oven's dirty. And I'm like, you know what? I'm working like 80 hours a week, two little kids at home. And uh, I sat at one of those meetings. They come in and they, and they said, Bob and Youngstown's up 10%. Everybody clap for Bob. And I said, you know what? Sales fixes everything. So I went back. I read the Guerrilla Marketing book by Jay Levenstein. I can't say that anything in particular stood out to me other than you needed to go outside of your four walls and get the phones ringing. And that's when I became, um, I guess, a guerrilla marketing guru. And um, the next meeting we go in, and uh, we're out there in Ohio, and they say, hey, everybody clap for Nick. He's up 10%. Next meeting, everybody clap for Nick again. He's up 20%. The next meeting, Nick, tell everybody what you're doing. You're up 42%. And what, what I was doing was we were selling pizzas that weren't even sold. We would go in in the morning. We make up a bunch of pizzas. Back then, we could sell large pizzas for six bucks. So we go to all the big box stores, the construction sites. I'd send three drivers out with thirty pizzas each, and they would go. There'd be ninety pizzas total. It's times five bucks a, a pizza for the store. So four hundred and fifty bucks every day times five time five days a week. So you've you've got almost two thousand bucks worth of sales coming in extra that nobody even picked up the phone and ordered a pizza. And what I was doing is I'd go call the Outback out, up and I'd say, hey, would you trade me some pizzas for steak dinners? And I told my delivery dri drivers, I said, on top of making a dollar off of every pizza you sell this week, I'll give you a steak dinner every week that you sell all your pizzas. And then we went in and got the big contracts, the school lunches, the, the, um, the basketball games, the football games, the swimming pools, and, and got all kind of contracts like that. And then next thing you know, uh, I had all these sales awards and records on the wall. And a guy came in and gave me his uh, card. And uh, I looked at it, and it was Domino's. And I said, buddy, you see all these awards on the walls? I'm not going anywhere. Well, that, that card burned a hole in my pocket. And um, next thing you know, I, I heard a, a story about a guy named Freddie Weeby and at Domino's franchisee in Gainesville was the busiest uh, franchisee of them all and how he built the sales and the guerrilla marketing tactics he he uh, implemented down there. And I, I joined Domino's and um, 
And that was just one of those things where I went out to them. They were a, a great organization, and I believe they they still are to this day. They they really um, are, are sales focused, and and um, I I kept learning there. I I opened up a store that was doing three thousand a week, took it to twelve thousand a week, and then um, they moved me out to Wilkes Bear. I got out to five hours from Pittsburgh. It's like a same state, but it's really not. And then when I I get over there and um, and doing the same thing, take it from 14,000 to 26,000 a week. They actually sent me down to meet Freddie Weeby and work at his store for a convention for a few days and, and see how he does his marketing, which was awesome. And then I go back to the college store and just knocked it out of the park. And, and then, um, when I came back to, to, uh, Wilkes-Barre, you know, our kids were like five and three, we were completely homesick. And, um, and we, and we ended up about a, after a year and a half there, we, we moved back home. And um, I like to say, you know, we were homesick, but the truth of it, truth of it is, and I think a lot in the industry go through it, is, um, you know, I was probably, I was 28 at this point. So I've told you, you know, my first maybe 10 years in the business and uh, really why we moved back from Wilkes-Barre to Pittsburgh is because I was deep into addiction, uh, drugs and alcohol. And it, it's, you know, started when I was younger drinking and it really, really turned into a, a drug addiction. Uh, by the end. And, um, you know, my wife, my wife said she's taking the two kids and going back to back to Pittsburgh and I uh, didn't care if I was coming or not. And, um, you know, I, I sat there, I, I quit my job right away, knew I needed to go back. Um, I didn't have a car. So there I was the next day, you know, no car, no job, no phone, um, no kids, no wife. And I go to go to the bathroom and there's no toilet paper. And I just hit my knees and said, you know, God, if you're real, like help me out here. And, and, um, I go back to the Pittsburgh and, uh, my, my mother-in-law says, you know, say she, she knows a counselor at the local church, which I thought was great. Cause my wife needs counseling. Who the heck would leave me? And, uh, you know, I went to the counseling and the counselor said, Hey, I, I was real honest with her. And she said, you got a drug and alcohol addiction and, um, you need to get help for that first. And then sure I can help you. So I, I never forget that first day sitting in the church parking lot, six o'clock at Sunday. I go, I go to go in and um, guy reaches out his hand, says first name. I say, Nick, he says, Bruce takes me up to the room because I was about ready to walk out of the elevator. And it turns out he was the uh, one of the pastors at the church. And um, I could say seven, 17 years this month um, will be my sobriety date. And I think, um, you know, it's a, a big uh, thing in the industry that, that a lot of don't realize it, but, but it really is drug and alcohol addiction, especially working in bars. And, um, that was, that was, you know, the first chapter or couple chapters, I guess, of my story. And, uh, one that I've gotten a little bit more comfortable telling lately. And, and I also think that, um, you know, at that point in my life, uh, it took a few, few months for my sobriety and for my wife to see that, that I really was committed to changing. And, um, you know, we got back, back, uh, unseparated, got into a home and, um, you know, everybody always says, you know, I, I think you hear it in the restaurant business that you don't have a real job. And, and I always kept hearing that, that I didn't have a real job. So when we got back together, I went and got that real job. I went to a radio station and they hired me for sales. And, um, yeah, the lady says, man, you, you're really personable and everything's great and probably be a good salesman, but how the heck uh, could a pizza guy sell radio ads. And I told her the story of how I convinced the school board to uh, sell all kinds of pizzas and how big of a contract that was. 
And she said, well, if you could do that, you probably could do radio sales. So then, so then I did the radio sales for about six months and I just hated uh, being in the office. And there was a little independent pizzeria across the street and I started delivering pizzas there. And when I started delivering pizzas at the independent pizzeria, um, next thing you know, I quit the radio gig. I was full-time uh, delivering pizzas. The guy opened up another shop. So now I'm working two shops. Um, then next thing you know, um, the original Papa John's, one of those guys I went into meetings all the time. He was uh, running a Papa John's. So I went to deliver for him. So I'm delivering three different places, full-time, 70, 80 hours a week. Bought our first house, a $170,000 house with the mortgage um, because I claimed all my tips from, from delivering pizzas. So, uh, you know, here I am. I'm a full-time pizza delivery driver. And um, I just was couldn't be prouder of what I was doing. I, I enjoyed it. My grandfather always told me, you know, no matter what you're doing, doing if you're shoveling manure or whatever it is, be the best you can be. Not saying delivering pizza, shoveling manure, but, you know, I was making the most of it. Right. And then from, from there, um, I kept hearing that same damn thing that I didn't have a real job. You know, I, I bought a house and uh, really support my family and people keep saying that. And I had a couple of years clean and sober at that point. But you keep hearing different things and rumblings and, you know, you, you just get beat up over it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go take the mailman test and I take the mailman test. I passed. And I worked for the United States Postal Service for the next four years. And while I was doing that, I still delivered three different places. Now I was working at the uh, Postal Service being a mailman. And one of the guys at the post office said, hey, I count money at the uh, Civic Arena where the Penguins play. Would you like to count money in the money room down there, too? And I said, sure. So for five, for next two years, for five, I had five jobs every single week, working 90 to 100 hours, um, supporting my family. And um, finally, you know, the Papa John said, hey, we're, we've heard you're a great general manager. We're, we're going to fire your friend. Would you like to take his job? And I was like, no way. <laughs> you know, that's my buddy for the last 15 years. Right. No way. And uh, they fired him anyway. And nine months later, they came to me and said, hey, we're going to remove the guy that replaced him. Um, would you like to be a general manager? And at that point, I really had no, you know, um, any reason to say no, because it wasn't like I had a relationship with that guy. And I said, well, maybe I can go for five jobs to two jobs. And I did. Still 90 hours a week because you're a full-time yeah. general manager and also a uh, full-time mailman. And when I did that, I uh, the store was doing 27000 in profits. First year, I took it to 147000 in profits. And it had never hit a million dollars in 20 years of being there. And I, I took it um, to over a million dollars and got a plaque, plaque for it. So um, that's all going good and well. And I go to the owner and I said, hey, I've been working 90 hours a week, um, making about 70000 between the two jobs. If I could somehow um, get somewhere in between the, the 50 and the 50 you're paying me and the 20 I'm making from the post office, somewhere get in between there, I, would, I wouldn't leave you forever. And he said, Nick, the this is what the industry pays. And if uh, you leave us, uh, we'll just find somebody else or we'll sell it. So I went to, so I was about 34 at this point. So we're, we're 16 years into my career. I went into five different pizza shops, asked them to sell me their shop. I had no idea how I was going to do it. I've been reading um, a lot of books. I think the part that I left out that was important as I ran that Papa John's, it was uh, one that serviced the university of Pittsburgh 
all these uh, young kids needed off. I say kids, but, you know, young college students needed off on the weekends. And I'd ask them for what? And they said they had to read and read different books. And I never went to college. So I started to read like crazy. If I wanted to know how to negotiate, I'd read six months of negotiating books. If I wanted to learn about personal finance, I'd read six months about personal finance and then um, started to read some personal growth books. And then every once in a while, when you read a book, they, the author starts talking about another book. And the more and more I kept reading, I kept finding that everybody was pointing towards this book called Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So I, I read it and then I read it again. And then I started watching the movie, The Secret. And um, I didn't know how I was going to open up my my pizzeria and I didn't really care. care. I just um, didn't worry about the money. I just knew the end result. So I started walking into pizzerias, asking them to sell me. And the fifth guy said, my buddy has a shop over in Bloomfield, which is about 10 minutes from the University of Pittsburgh. I walk in and I say, oh, shit, it's a bar, you know, seven years sober at this point. And um, walk to the back, um, pizza kitchen, everything I need. And then we sit down and um, I said, you know what? I want to buy it. And he said, what's well, 180,000. I said, sounds good to me. And um, I said, well, how am I going to pay you? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't have any money. <laughs> I said, but let me tell you my story. And I did. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you run it for nine months? Give me whatever you can save up from running it. And then I'll finance the rest over the next five years. Wow. And um, that was 10 years ago, just in September, we celebrated 10 years. I have now built that into uh, seven restaurants. They're full service. They all have liquor licenses, but 20 to 24 beers on tap, full full uh, whiskey, wine, everything, about 150 seats in each one. Um, we've built it to over eight figures in revenue. And uh, this year we also have gone into Akashore Stadium where the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and University of Pitt play. So we sell our pizza there as well. And we just announced that we're the official pizza of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So where I used to count money at the arena, we now have five locations that sell our pizza as well. So in a nutshell, sorry for being long. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's a long story. Like I said, it's not an overnight success. It's been a grind uh, since 1996. But but here we are, um, you know, 20, 26 years later or so. But you can see the connectedness. And oh, how, you know, you were supposed to be where you were at those times. Yeah, for sure. I, th I think what people miss out on some point sometime is when you work with managers, whether they're really good or really bad, you take the good stuff, you leave the bad, you learn from that. And then when you get to the next guy, you take his good and leave his bad and you keep doing that. And before you know it, you work for six or seven different managers. They each had two or three things that were good. You take those two or three things that are good Six managers later, you've got 15 things in your toolbox that, that are good. Plus, you learned a couple of different things. And before you know it, um, you've got a really different perspective on how to run a restaurant than you did, you know, five or 10 years ago. So how did you make that transition from one so that the second one wasn't a curse and then up to seven? How did how did you do that? It, was it from learning the lessons from the people who failed before you of doing the right things. Um, just a lot of hard work, I, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, I think as you hear my story and you hear the hours, you hear how much different things I juggled, um, you know, that's part of it. Sure, you know, being able to, to have different locations and different uh, places that we sell our pizza and all the different faucets that we have. Um, yeah, that that's a lot of it, being able to manage all that stuff. But I think um, the number one thing is is always the people, it, communication skills, doesn't matter what business you're in, whether you're 
um, a, a Jiffy Lube or if you're a landscaper or, or restaurateur or whatever it may be, you're really in the people business. And that's what it comes down to. And as a young kid, um, I was always, I had two younger brothers. I was always their coach uh, in floor hockey and soccer and baseball. And um, I always like leading a team. And I think uh, a lot of leadership skills I didn't even know I was picking up at a young age at, at the Youth Foundation. And um, I think it's leadership skills. I think it's communication skills. Um, it, it's having, um, you know, I think something that's got popular over the last couple of years. You hear about emotional intelligence. I think that's uh, that's part of it as well. Um, but I also think the other part is uh, not being a perfectionist. And, and when you say that, you know, there's guys out there that that'll start to open a restaurant. And it'll take them two or three years to open one restaurant because they want everything perfect. Uh, the reality is you can think everything's perfect, but as soon as, you know, that open sign comes on and somebody comes in and, and everything's not perfect, it, you'll never have a perfect opening. You'll never have a perfect, um, perfect experience, a restaurant. Like you may have great experiences, but like, you know, you, you can't, you can't go when the the lights go out at five o'clock on a, on your opening night, or all of a sudden your oven's not working, or or um, you turn around and your menus have a wrong price on them or something, or or somebody calls off on you. Like you just you can never plan for perfect. So we just always try to figure out whatever it is. And um, one of my other claims to fame is the time frame that we've opened restaurants in. You know, I took over the first restaurant, just literally took it over same day opened. Um, the next one was a five-day turnaround. Next one, next one was a four-day turnaround, and then we got a little longer with a 15-day turnaround. And um, I'm talking about somebody was closed, and we go into that restaurant, and uh, you know, Bar Rescue, they make a big show. Mm -hmm. Part of me, they, they make a Bar Rescue, they make a big show of it, yeah. and you know, we were doing and still do real Bar Rescue. Like we go in and we've got contractors working on top of plumbers, working on top of electricians, on top of my POS guys, on top of us training in there, cleaning walls, painting. And uh, we open these restaurants as fast as possible. So we never have one where we're down and out. And um, just in the last year, you know, everybody got beat up from COVID. And um, I told my guys, we're going to come out of here stronger. And that's one way I try to keep people was having a vision. I think you always have to have a vision of where you're going. And we bought two restaurants in a, in a commissary slash office building. So November 14th last year, we closed on a commissary building and we closed on two restaurants. So since uh, November 14th of last year, we've opened up two locations and uh, like I said, full service, um, doing great sales and an office building, uh, a commissary building that's in production. And then we went out and got two big giant stadium contracts. So, I mean, that's been our last year. Um, I don't think you plan for that. I don't think you try to be perfect. I think you just try to do your best. But you really keep that vision and you just keep great people around you. So how do you find those great people? You know, that um, obviously staffing has always been an issue with restaurants, but, you know, even more so during the pandemic for multiple different reasons. Um, so how, you know, how do you find those people and how do you keep them? I'd like to tell you there's a magic formula, but I think everybody would call BS on me if I called said there's a magic formula. And even hearing the story, I think some of what's been happening so far as I tell a story, you know, people have a hard time believing it, but it, it it's all true. And and I think um, everyone talks about the recession we're in right now. And I just won't let myself believe that, that I'm in a recession. I just won't let me believe it because then I will be in a recession. So 
when everyone can't hire these last couple of years, I didn't never once believe that I can't hire because I'm not going to have that mindset. So to me, it all comes down to mindset and I wouldn't let myself believe that. So what do we do to hire? Um, my accountant looks at me and says, you spent $60,000 last year on recruitment. That can't be right. I pull up my Indeed account, 56,000 just on Indeed. I said, yeah, that is right. And uh, so we just spent a ton of money on in- Indeed, spent a ton of money on Craigslist. Um, so are those the only two things we do? No, we have billboards that say, now we actually says needing help with K-N-E, a, you know, the little <laughs> play on words there right. with somebody with his hands right. in the dough. Attention. Yeah. Yep. With every single box that goes out of the pizzeria has a, has a place where they can fill out the application online, uh, social media ads for, for online. We've ran radio ads for, for, uh, for, uh, hiring. I mean, we, we just, we have, uh, in the store, if they, if you bring in somebody that, that works for you, a friend, we'll give you a couple hundred bucks. Uh, a lot of people were doing these bonuses like, Hey, we're going to give you, you know, if you sign on, you get, how do you think your employees feel that they've been with you for three years? Now you're going to pay some guy off the street, 500 bucks to work for you. And then he quits on day 91 and goes and does the next thing. You know, I'd rather take care of my employees that work for me rather than these guys that uh, just are jumping job to job. So we started to focus really on uh, retention. You know, how do we retain these guys? Employee of the month programs, the old fashioned, hang the picture of the best guy on the wall for that month, reward them with a gift card. Manager of the month, you know, we'll give them a free T-shirt that's special to. You're now in the Caliente Wolf Pack with a free vacation day and a and a hundred dollar gift card. And then we've got shirts every year that you work for us. You get a year's of service shirt. We throw a banger for for the holiday party. Same with the summer picnic. We've got the Caliente Award Show where we give out all kind of different awards with prizes and tickets to games and trips. And you sell the most pizzas for the next couple of months. We'll give you a seventy five inch TV. Like all these different things that that make it a place that people want to work. 401k, health benefits, stuff that I never, ever got offered when I was right. a, a pizza delivery driver that I never thought that we would offer. But when I look at how much money we spend on these ads trying to hire people, I realize why don't I take some of that money and dump it back into the guys that work for me? So that's really, really what we've done in a nutshell. So you kind of take the same gorilla approach to hiring and retaining that you do to the marketing side as well. Yeah. I, I think for every owner um, that, that has success, there's a, a point in your success that you understand how important your employees really are. And when that moment happens, you do anything for them. And, and I think that's when you start to, to think of what's really most important to them. And I think for being a guy that was for 16 years, always um, that guy that was in there as a family man working a bunch of million hours and working in the restaurant industry, you know, what's important, you know, and, and I think that's what we wanted to do. I, it all started when I opened the first restaurant and I said, I will be successful when I do three things, when I can buy a car from this century, when I can move to a little bit of a nicer house. And when I know how I'm going to pay for my kids college, cause they were 12 and 10 at the time. So within the first year, I knew all that was going to happen. And I said to myself, is that really how I'm going to judge success? And no, it's not. When the guys who work for me, when they can do the things for their family that's important to them, that's how I'm going to measure my success. So I've always tried to hold true to that. So, you know, we are 
you know, I don't want to say recession either. You know, I, I kind of try to look at it the same way as you, but, um, you know, we're de- are kind of dealing with supply challenges and all different kinds of things now with restaurants. So, um, how, how are you, you know, taking on these challenges and what kind of advice to other restaurateurs who are kind of facing these same things? Well, I think you have to hold your distributors accountable because they're, they're playing some games where some of them are, are fair and they're, they're honest guys and they're trying to do the right thing. And then I think other places they're trying to, to make their margins on. And I think um, you need two different distributors so you can play them against each other. And uh, sometimes with the supply chain, you you need to have two different uh, distributors. So if you can't get, you know, before maybe we would use the same banana pepper no matter what. But now um, if you can't get a banana pepper for one guy, you may have to get a little slightly different one from somebody else, something that we wouldn't have done before COVID because um, we wouldn't have had to. But when you're faced with those situations, you do that. But I, I think you just have to make sure you're you're keeping your distributors honest and you're communicating with them. You, it's it's like uh, the, the squeaky wheel, you know, that's the one that gets the oil. So if you're not talking to your distri- distributor, somebody else is and somebody else will get more attention than you are. So you have to make sure that, that you uh, keep them accountable and communicate with them. Does it also involve finding new suppliers or maybe working with uh, local suppliers to kind of build relation, other relationships um, and as a way of kind of cost containment? So I'll say this. I had um, our pizza boxes. You know, I mean, every pizza that goes out of the store is in a pizza box. And we have a very great branded pizza box. We spent a lot of time. It's an all black pizza box with our logo on it. I'm very proud of it. And it stopped coming. We started to get a gray box with a, you know, different kind of Italian guy on there. And then next, next week, it's just the thing that says hot pizza and it's a brown box. And then you get a plain white box. And um, I called up my, my guy, Patrick, and uh, about the year before COVID, we were, he's out about five hours on the way to Atlantic city where we have a pizza show. And Patrick had my whole group, uh, 25 people out there to walk through all our managers to walk through and see the plant where the pizza boxes. And it's just pizza boxes being made in a cardboard facility. You know, it's really nothing fancy, but they gave us a great tour. They gave us a nice lunch. They made us feel special. My managers felt special. And uh, this was pre COVID. So I called Patrick up, you know, this is probably about six to maybe it's a year ago at this point. And I call him Patrick, what's going on? My, my boxes, you know, they're, they're, um, they're not, I, I just can't get the same ones. And, and he's like, Nick, um, you could hear the, def- his voice was just defeated. You know, this is a guy who's probably been at the same company for 20, 30 years. And you could hear it in his voice. He was defeated. Nick, I, I know. I, I just, I want to get you what you want. And um, I just can't, I, I can't, we can't keep up with it. Um, you know, we've got machines breaking. We've, we can't get the parts for them. Um, you know, we can't get the cardboard in to make the boxes. Uh, your boxes and, you know, and I, and I understand, um, you know, you just probably got to go somewhere else. And I said, Patrick, we're we're nine years into this thing at Caliente here. I said, and you've had my back this whole time. I said, before COVID you rolled out the red carpet and had all us out here. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I said, I just, you just tell me, be honest with me. How many months are we talking to get my pizza boxes back? And he's like, I don't think I could do it probably till about six months. I said, that's fine. I said, just when you get there, you take care of me. I said, you're my guy. I said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm loyal. I just need to know what, what the time frame really is. 
you know, not, they keep saying next week they're going to show up. For the last four weeks, I've heard next week, and that's not what's happening. Just give me a time frame. Nick, I can fix it all within six months. I said, well, fix it, Patrick. That's fine. I, you know, I appreciate it. And uh, talking to Patrick last week when we ordered some new box sizes for the uh, stadiums, and he's like, Nick, he's like, I was, he said, everyone's calling up and screaming at me at that time. And you, you called up and just were like, hey, you're my guy. And just, uh, you know, let me know what the real time frame is. And, and he said, man, I appreciate that phone call more than you will ever know. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I believe in the people that got you where you got, got to be. Wow. That's a great story. I don't, I don't think people think of supply chain that far, you know, they think of the, the food itself, but not all of the, you know, all of the parts that go into making all of the other things that, you know, that we have to make. Um, so how do you balance all of this? You know, you're, you wrote a book, you're doing a podcast, you're, you know, you're growing, you're looking for other opportunities. How do you have the time to do it all and the time to, you know, have a life and have that kind of, uh, I don't want to say work-life balance, but, you know, have, have a quality in your life that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think um, as you get older, you start to find answers to those questions where when you're younger, you believe those, those, those uh, answers don't, don't exist. And I think as you get older, you start to realize that those answers can exist. You just got to really put time towards, towards making those things happen. I think, um, you know, I wrote my book, The Pizza Equation. It was important to me, so I wrote it. Um, it. I was on so many podcasts that I decided I wanted to have my own. So I started a podcast, The Business Equation, that really, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't pizza focused. I was bringing on a lot of people that have different businesses and just wanted to hear their stories, kind of their grassroots startup. And um, it made me more well-rounded, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I think um, if – you know, there's so many different things that people say that are cliche, that if you love what you do, it's not work and, and, and all that stuff. But, you know, at the same time, um, you know, you, you need somebody strong behind you. You, you know, my wife's been with me every step of the way and, and she's my rock. And I think you need that. And then there's, you know, I, I think uh, my kids are older now, they're 22 and 20, but there's so many things that sure I, I missed. I mean, I, there's tons of things. I never missed their birthday. I never missed um, you know, uh, their birthday, but you know, other things, sure. I, you know, I, I can't say that I made everything. I can't say that, you know, I made cousins weddings and stuff like that. We missed, I sacrificed a lot of that stuff. I think as you get older, you start to figure out uh, what's really important. And I think, um, at some point, you know, I look around and say, I need some sort of hobby to, to really make sure that I'm, you know, just stay in balance on different things. I think taking personal inventory is really important. Um, you know, looking at looking and realizing that sometimes you can't can't have everything be well rounded, but you can you can start to to move in different directions. The things that are important to you at the time, because things change. What's important to you today may not be important to you three years from now, or or five or ten years from from now. But I really believe in um, not just having things stuck in your head, but writing everything on paper, uh, goals and desires, and and working towards things like that. And I, I think it's just a, a matter of um, you know, I, I'm not really, I always say I'm not the most organized person in the world, but you, you know, being able to keep up on everything, you would think I'm super organized or as much as I work, you know, when I'm not working, I'm probably the laziest person that, that I know, but you would never think that like a, a guy with all this stuff that I've got going on is lazy, but like, you got to find those moments to be lazy. And I, I think that's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and then there's, um, 
moments to be focused, poised, and and um, you know, completely laser focused. So I, I think it just takes a lot to be well rounded, and self awareness has a lot to do with it. Really knowing your strengths, really knowing your weaknesses, being able to have very hard talks with yourself, and I, I think that's all part of the journey. So talking about your journey, if you know, if, if someone is listening to this story and they're saying, you know, I this is something. You know, maybe they're working in in a pizza place now or they're delivering pizzas and they're saying, you know, I want to do what you're doing. Um, what's some advice that you would give them? You know, some simple ones that you hear your whole life, you know, don't give up. Right. Like, don't ever give up. Um, don't look back. Don't let your past define you. I could easily could have let my past define me. Don't let your past define you. Um, you know, do write down your goals. You know, I, I've got sitting behind me on the shelf is one of my proudest things I own. And it's. Um, 11 years ago, I wrote out all my all my goals of next one, three, five, 10 years. Big, big goals, you know, things that you would think are absolutely crazy. And and I framed it and put it on my wall now because I've accomplished so many of those. And, um, you know, if you keep them in your head, they're dreams. You write them on paper, they're goals. So what do you think are some uh, restaurant industry challenges that we're going to be facing, um, you know, as we head into 2023? Well, I still think... Um, I, th- I think being fiscally re- responsible is, is definitely the number one thing you can do. I think um, not raising your prices is probably one of those things that's going to be a kiss of death for a lot of people. I think a lot of restaurateurs have a hard time um, raising their prices. And it shouldn't now, before, if you didn't raise your prices once a year, you'd get killed. If you don't raise your prices every quarter, you, you get killed now. So I think uh, that's that's one of those things to definitely keep in mind. Um, the way you print menus, you know, if you're printing expensive menus, every time you change them out, um, it's, it becomes a bigger expense than it needs to be. So you need to think about the way that you're doing those type of things. But I really think it's the pricing game. It's making sure you know your food cost. Now, that's another thing that I've developed with a couple of my partners is a is a uh, per, the perfect food cost app. So you literally can go in, put all your invoices in. Um, It'll tell you how much you, you tell them how much you want to charge for, for a pizza and it'll kick back and tell you what the percent is. So you want your, your food cost to be 28%, literally put in your invoices, put your recipes in, say, Hey, if I charge 13 bucks for this pizza, what's my food cost? It shoots back. Hey, your food costs 26%. So like knowing, not just making your menu because the guy across the street sells a burger for $12 and you think you're going to sell it for 10, you're going to sell more than him. You know, your food cost may be 40% or something on that burger. So all those different things, um, you know, knowing your numbers, knowing your costs, figuring out your labor costs before you before you write your schedule. All those things are the things we preach to our managers. And, and I think those are the things that have helped us grow, too, is, is um, you know, having the right numbers. Yeah, it always seems funny to me that so many people who are running a restaurant are, I don't want to say afraid of those numbers, but that they're not as cognizant of, of all of that. And, but they, they're the very things that they should be aware of because it's the information that's going to help them in the long run. Well, that's it. And I think uh, if you know the numbers, then uh, one of the questions you asked, you know, the the growth and the scaling and, and uh, the infrastructure and people is very important, putting people in place before you actually need them. And a lot of times when you do that, you know, you're, you're paying somebody as you grow that might be in a position that you don't necessarily need yet. So if, if your costs are off, you know, you're going to have a hard time paying extra positions that, that really aren't skilled, skilled positions in the restaurant. 
you know, running a line or, or uh, pulling the oven or whatever it may be, but really they're a supervisor or they're your office manager or they're now your marketing director. You know, all those positions get paid from somewhere, but they're not really in the store working. And if your costs are off, you're not going to have those leftover dollars to pay people to help you scale. So, you know, creating infrastructure is super important and uh, nothing's more important than than the numbers. And, and on top of that, um, you know, from, from that side, being fiscally conservative is, is really important. So, you know, when you were talking before about the guerrilla marketing and all of the things that you did to reach out to the communities, are there any easy ones that you could give to people who may be searching for ways to new ways to market um, that aren't, I don't want to give you to give away any of your secrets or anything, but are there simple things or ways to tap into things in their local communities that maybe they're, they just weren't thinking about? Well, what, what I'll say to answer that, and it may not be the answer that, that you're searching for, but I think, um, I, I think it's the tr- truth answer here is every location, every store, every restaurant is different. You know, of all these different stores that we've opened up and all the different restaurants that I've worked in, they're all a little bit different. Things that worked in one won't work in the other. Um, and then things that, you know, work at one, um, maybe will work at three or four, but they won't work at five, six and seven. So what I would say is that um, the greatest book that, that I've read on sales is called The Sales Machine it's by Chet Holmes. And his overall theory in there is going after your 100 biggest customers. You know, if you had, and, and really it wasn't a pizza book. It wasn't a restaurant book. It was a book for salesmen. And it was talking about going after your dream 100. So if you're going after, you know, you write down the hundred customers that if you had, you know, are these for, for the restaurant guys? Is it, if you had, um, you know, the 400 people that work at Walmart or the four 4,000 people that work at Amazon, if they came to your restaurant, like what would that do for your restaurants? So you make that list of like, or is it a university, man, if we had the professors ordering from us and for their big events, what would that do to our business? So if you make that list of your 100 dream customers and then work that list um, 10 at a time, or maybe even dumb it down to five at a time. And then before you know it over a year, you've went after 50 of your, your big dream 100 customers. And maybe out of that 50, you've got 10, but of those 10 customers, they're, they're big. I'm talking, they, they spend the money because they have that many different uh, people working there, you know, that, that will visit your establishment. And that's really how I've grown a lot of sales is going after those, those big uh, dream 100 customers. And even like the stadiums, you know, they've been a big goal of ours to get, get into the stadiums and, and um, it took some time, but that's, that's what we worked on. And, and uh, when you go after those type of clients, and, um, you know, even being a restaurant, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, the customers, the the uh, the patrons, you can call them clients, whatever it may be, um, you got to figure out how, how to build your sales. And I think when you go after who will have the biggest impact, the biggest uh, the biggest gain on your sales is going after uh, those customers. So that's, you know, The Sales Machine by Chet Holmes is uh, a book that makes you think different. And uh, that really has helped me the most to, to really grow my sales. So how, as you grow, and I anticipate you're going to grow even more just by listening to you, yep. um, how do you, how do you kind of keep quality control? So quality control is really important. You know, we talked about the second store for some people being kissed to death. It wasn't for me. It actually was a uh, second store is five minutes from my house um, across streets where I started delivering pizzas. And uh, then the other store was 25 minutes away. I was able to have 40 employees 
know what everybody ate for breakfast, what their kids like, you know, with all those great relationships with, with your team. Um, I was able to make sure there were as many pepperonis were on the first store pizza was the same pepperonis that was on the second store pizza, no problem. The third store was 45 minutes from the house, and that's when everything started to show for me. So, you know, we made uh, recipe guides. We made um, books with pictures of what every pizza is supposed to look like. Um, and then, you know, I brought in a supervisor that he was going, I couldn't be at all three stores, but he could, you know, his job was to go to all three stores. And then as we grow, um, got the five stores, he was going to all five stores and we realized that five was almost too much. So then we opened up six and seven, we brought in another guy that he goes to three, my other guy goes to four, um, and he's still in charge of the all seven, but then we brought in a training department. He's in there training everybody how to make everything the same. So now I've got three guys going to all the stores every single week. And then, you know, my marketing team, she's in all the stores all the time, looking and making sure everything's um, matching up. The pictures that we're putting on social media really look like the the pizzas we're putting in boxes. So I, I think uh, it goes back to infrastructure, building people up, uh, procedures, systems, um, having a lot of structure in what we do. And, um, Nothing happens overnight. You know, the recipe book that I'm talking about took us a year to make. Uh, we're in the process right now of making training videos. You know, all our training for every single position, we have really nice detailed guidebooks, but we really feel like video is the next step. So we know it's going to be a year, year and a half to make these training videos, but that's what we're working on. So we'll end it. Um, what is it about Pittsburgh that makes it a good food town and in particular, what is it about pizza? You know, what what's your go to pizza? Um, and, you know, what um, you know, as you said before, you know, when when people saw you at the door with the pizza, everybody's happy. Um, so, what you know, what is it about about pizza that is this thing that brings joy? Yeah. So I think Pittsburgh in general, um, you know, used to be an old steel town. It's uh, got some great universities, great hospitals, very techy, um, like most of um Cities, I think they're they're starting to go a different way with food. They're trying to really um, stay on the cutting edge and try a lot of uh, diff different things out there. And, and I think it's just um, uh, the people of Pittsburgh are always so proud to be from Pittsburgh. And I think um, they're realizing that they're really proud of their food as well. So I think that's what's starting to come out in the last five to ten years. Pizza is one of those things that, you know, one of our first campaigns when we had the second store was uh, celebrate your victories with us. And, and that's it because think about it, you know, you, the, you're a kid and you hit a home run, you go and celebrate with pizza, you get a re good report card, celebrate with pizza. Somebody's um, having a baby, there may be pizzas there or whatever it may be. Everybody celebrates with uh, America's favorite food and, th and that's pizza. And I think my go-to, I always say, if you're going to judge us, judge us off our pepperoni pizza. And, and I think people just love pizza. There's so many times in my career where you show up with the pizza and everybody's uh, cheering you on because they love to see the pizza guy. And uh, I just don't think there's any better food out there and not just America. You know, I've been lucky enough to travel to Italy a few times and we get over there and you see the birthplace of pizza. And you think we're proud about pizza? Oh my gosh, those Italians are on another level. Right. But uh, just absolutely love pizza and love, love what we do. Thank you so much. That was great.